Sanctify us, O Lord, in truth. Your word is truth. Amen. All night had shout of men and cry of woeful women filled his way until that noon of somber sky on Friday clamor and display smote him. No solitude had he, no silence since Gethsemane. Public was death, but power, but might, but life again, but victory were hushed within the dead of night. The shuttered dark, the secrecy, and all alone, 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 he rose again behind the stone. I wonder if anyone recognizes this poem called Easter Morning by Alice Maynell of about a hundred years ago. She was a deep woman of prayer and a feisty leader in the movement for women's suffrage. The poem was something that I recited in the quiet of my own room for many years. And yet, a poem like this introduced into the context of the Easter Vigil uh, Liturgy, suddenly we feel a wrong note, a discord. Something isn't right here. Where does this poem strike a false note in the context of our Easter Eucharist? It must be in this phrase, alone, alone, alone. So much of Western thought and imagination thinks individualistically, It is absolutely second nature for us to think of the individual as separate, an autonomous self, the self as ultimately alone. And in the background of the poem is a long tradition of trying to peer into the mystery of the resurrection through the Western lens of individualism. The appalling result is that most people Think of the resurrection as a unique supernatural event, a one-off miracle performed by God once upon a time on the corpse of Jesus. The paintings of the resurrection that emerged in the Renaissance, just as individualistic concepts of the human person were on the rise, depict Jesus as a hero figure standing on the edge of an open grave, holding upright a tall rod with a flying pennant. This strapping figure with naked torso is fixing us with a very masculine gaze of cool authority, and Roman soldiers are languishing in the lower margins in a state of stupor. But honestly, have these images of the solitary risen Christ ever really captured the imagination or kindled our adoration? No. Most of them are spiritually inert P 
period pieces that have ended up fixed on the walls of our art museums. As for the modern popular versions, well, I must try to hold my snobbery in check here, such as end up on pious Easter cards in what we call religious kitsch. The ones that present the dreamy and well-put-together white man in fluorescently white garments, smiling with teeth almost as bright, stepping out among the flower beds from the garden tomb. Well, my only reaction is in the words of one of my black drinking companions, Black Jesus, help us! What a gift, then, has been the rediscovery in the 20th century of another path for the imagination through the art created in the church's springtime and sustained in the icons and frescoes of the Eastern churches. Don't forget that for centuries, the great icons of the resurrection had become literally as well as figuratively obscured by the smoke of incense and candles, and blackened beyond recognition. And in recent centuries, piety tried to preserve the numinous power of miraculous icons by covering them with tinsel panels of thin gold, pierced here and there with little apertures which you could recognize perhaps a little dark face or hands. It was only in the 20th century that chemical solvents were devised to strip away the layers of tar and bring back to life and blazing color the magnificent images underneath. A parable of epiphany indeed. Now we can see a completely different way of conceiving the mystery of the resurrection. In the classic icons of the resurrection, a very dynamic Christ, urgently on the move, is vigorously active. His robes are flying with the movement. He is striding across monumental doors that have been torn from their hinges and hurled down, the broken locks thrown to one side. And with one hand he seizes the wrist of Adam, and with the other the wrist of Eve, And as they reach up, he's pulling them to himself from the black abyss in which they have been imprisoned. And from the corners and all around them, the great figures of the Old Testament and the other saints are gazing in rapt wonder. The resurrection is a cosmic prison break, busting open the charnel house where everything alien to the love of the living God, traps itself. Now we can see that on the first day of the week, early in the morning, God created an opening for unconquerable love to draw all from isolation, darkness, and futility into the light and warmth of God's heart, whether there are more than many mansions more than enough room for all who have ever lived and all who ever will live. There is no alone, alone, alone. The resurrection takes place at the heart of the entire human community, 
for the entirety of humanity and ultimately for the wholeness of creation. The power of the black hole of death and estrangement to suck everything into nothingness has broken down beyond repair. There is a way back now for all and everything to be reconciled and united together in intimacy with the love that is the heart of all things. Because of the resurrection, there is now an aperture, visible even from the furthest depths of hell, through which the light of God shines, and the irresistible magnetism of God's all-attractive tenderness radiates. And through that opening, all are going to find their way back in the end. As Jesus proclaims in the Gospel of John, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all to myself. The refrain of the Easter Gospel is not alone, 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 he rose behind the stone, but for all, with all, in all. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since through since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So that God may be all in all. It was inconceivable for the first believers to think of Christ the Son of Man as disconnected from those whom he calls his own. Jesus was not alone, 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 alone behind the stone. They insisted that far from being alone, the Spirit of Jesus was out and about seeking company, specifically the company of the condemned in Hades, to reach out to them, the lost and abandoned, and embraced them into salvation, which was being minted new that hour. Peter writes in his first letter, He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey. Medieval artists loved to depict this theme on the walls of English churches. And much of the whitewash is being stripped away to bring them to life again. The subject was called with Anglo-Saxon vigor, the harrowing of hell, from an ancient word meaning to plunder or raid. It's the Vikings in the background of this word. But honestly, who doesn't like a jailbreak scene? 
people would gaze up to see Christ, their Christ, pulling folk out of their underworld prison. Of course, this is where a lot of we moderns are bound to start huffing and puffing. Outlandish mythology, getting into the creed, all this wild mythic language. But we better watch ourselves. What other language have we got but luminous symbols when the spirit has led us to the very limits of what thought can think? Thank the Lord that we have inspired iconographers to take up their brush just when philosophers are forced to put down their pen because they have nothing more to say. Perhaps this Easter we can truly remember that in the ancient creed created for new Christians to recite at their Easter baptism, the resurrection of Jesus on the third day is quickly followed by the affirmation, I believe in the communion of saints and the resurrection of the body. Jesus' resurrection is one down the rest of us to follow. There is only one resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, and the work in progress of the resurrection of yours, mine, everyone's, including the untold millions of the forgotten dead. So it would be good for us, even on Easter Day itself, to bring to our imagination the way our artists have tried somehow to give expression to this ultimate consummation of Jesus' resurrection in the resurrection of all, without which God could never be finally all in all. I've had my eye out for these depictions most of my life. Think of that beautiful pulpit in a French cathedral where, as the dead rise on the last day, a woman is reaching to her husband and putting her hand on his heart as if to say, can it be that it is beating again? Or in the newly refreshed um, frescoes of in Orvieto, where on an arid plain people are emerging from the earth to gaze at each other in loving recognition. But if I may give an even more original testimony, there's one painting of that ultimate resurrection that has been impregnating my faith and imagination since I first encountered it as a youth. A young English artist called Stanley Spencer still seared by the horrors of World War I, began in 1922 to paint one of the most colossal canvases ever attempted in English art. It is three yards high and five yards wide. And it had to be for the subject, which is the resurrection of the dead taking place in the churchyard of his local parish church of the Holy Trinity in the village of Cookham, where he spent his life, a little village on the banks of the Thames. In this vast panorama, the dead are emerging from their graves, 
some clothed, some not, some white, some black. Jesus is looking on from the porch in supervision. And over in the distance, we see two river launches on the Thames, ready to take the newly risen men and women into paradise. Some are patting each other to to brush off the dust. Others are nonchalantly reclining on the lids of their tombs, as if to take in the light of the sun. The turf is being rolled back, rather like the old-fashioned sardine cans. In the center of the painting is a young man naked, looking out to the side of the picture. It is Stanley's self-portrait. He does depict himself with his beloved lover, Hilda, again nearer the porch. But it's this self-portrait as one of the risen that has a secret. He began the painting the day after he made love to Hilda for the first time. The resurrection can only be imagined by those who have been aroused into life by love. The painting riveted me with its power when I first saw it, and I'm still being radiated by its power, its tender happiness. It's amazing power to convey how God desires the fullness of who we are, not mere souls to go to a higher plane, but all that we've been and all that we are and all that we've made in our bodies and how he desires us into being together. The resurrection of the body into the communion of saints. It was quickly recognized as a masterpiece. It now hangs in the Tate Gallery in London. He'd go on to paint many more paintings on the theme of resurrection and dozens and dozens of pictures of Christ doing all his miracles in the village of Cookham. And years later, he wouldn't say much about this poem about other than, it makes me happy. As I wonder at this great picture, I realize the power of the artist instinct put to put himself in the picture. He wasn't looking at the resurrection. He was in the resurrection looking out. And this year in this beautiful place, this is what my meditations have been all about. Friends, you cannot look at the resurrection from the outside. You won't see anything, even if you try. But we're already in the resurrection, looking out from it. In the days after Easter, Jesus did not give private tours of the empty tomb with explanations of what it was like for him. He wanted his disciples to start looking out of the resurrection, not to peer into it. 
On Easter Day, the disciples are told to go back to Galilee, multiracial, multiethnic, impure, mongrel Galilee. And they will meet him there where there is confusion and havoc. In the upper room, in John's account, he wastes no time with explanations, but gets going with the sending out of the disciples, ready or not. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He trusted them out from the resurrection into the world. And in no time he will be sending them out from Galilee into all the nations. Immersing them in the resurrection. Plunging them. Because there's no shallow end now with the resurrection. We're all over our heads in the deep end. Go into all the nations. Immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, since our theme is bodies rising, we must do something with our bodies. So, I've, uh, we have a new liturgical gesture. I had the extraordinary privilege of working for 10 years in the parish of St. Columbus in Washington, where we lived in a sea of children, 424 kids in the Sunday school. It was like preaching in a bucket of bait. All these lively figures on the move around us. And there I did notice how true it was that Christ, who was always new and growing younger by the day, pointed us to children as our teachers. And there was a, a young boy, about a, a six-year-old, who sat in the front pew, who after the end of every prayer, gave his mother a high five. <laughs> and she asked, why? Why are you doing this? And drawing himself up with all the dignity of the young, a young soccer player too, he said, well, don't we say to God at the end of every prayer, I'm in. <laughs> and by an uncanny instinct, this is exactly what our men means. It is a word of commitment, a word to say that we belong to the mystery we have just heard and that we're committing ourselves to it all over again. So although we rejoice to say over and over again today on Easter Day, Alleluia, and soon we'll be saying the peace of the Lord be with you, I'd like you on the count of three to give your neighbor a high five and say, Alleluia, I'm in. I'm in the resurrection. One, two, three. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in.